for those who are joining us here in this service, and for those who are listening outside of these walls, we invite you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter number 5. You're listening to the services of the Burnfield Baptist Church. This is the pastor bringing the Sunday morning message, continuing on with the Lord's blueprint for a blessed life. And we pick up the mantle where we parked it last time together and making my way slowly but surely, taking as much time as needed, beatitude by beatitude in the series. It's going to be done when the Lord deems it done. Amen. But what a blessed passage of Scripture and one that we need to be reminded of often. Matthew chapter number 5. I'd like to read verses 1 through 12 with you together, and I would also like for you to read out loud when I come specifically to to verse number 7. Verse number 7. Matthew chapter number 5 and verse number 1, the Bible recording. Seeing the multitudes, he, that is Jesus, went up into a mountain somewhere in Galilee, And when he was set, as the custom was in the day for the rabbis to teach, his disciples, whom he had called previously before by the seaside, and said, Follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. His disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled altogether. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand your word today. I humbly bow before you and thank you again for being a heavenly father to me. I read the scriptures, but it's what I read about you in them that helps me understand the verse that we're looking at today. Without your mercy toward me, Lord, I would not know what mercy is. Without an understanding of your grace, I wouldn't understand how good it is to experience your hand in life. As Job said, this life is a few days and full of trouble. It's the sparks fly upward. James reminds us that we have but a vapor to make a difference for Christ here in this lifespan. Moses reminded us it's about 70 years, give or take. Anything beyond that is your blessing. Average lifespan today. 70 years to make a worldwide impact for Christ. 70 years, average, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And yet, Lord, you are working in and through your people today who are salt and light. I pray that you'll bless us to look at our Savior and to consider his words about being merciful, knowing that the promise 
is written in the scriptures, we shall one day obtain that very same mercy from your gracious, omnipotent hand. We love you, Lord. We pray that you'll help us to grow in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When I was doing my study for this, I came across a, a, a story that I think illustrates where we're going today very well. Maybe you've heard a story or something similar to this account, but there were years ago in a small town, uh, there was a merchant that had identical twin boys and they were inseparable. They were so close that they even dressed alike. That's not confusing. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, we have some twins in the, in the room here that can probably relate to that. Tricking people. You, you remember the stories about kindergarten and primary school and the teachers not being able to figure out which kid is which? Nobody's guilty of that. Okay. Well, these, these fellows, they even dressed alike. It was said that their extraordinary closeness was the reason they never married. When their father died, they took over the family business. The relationship they had was considered a model of creative collaboration. Both of them working together. Yes, twin brothers. It can really happen. For a little while, anyway. Because, because he was busy, one of the brothers neglected to ring up a sale and just kind of absentmindedly left the dollar bill on top of the cash register while he went to the front of the store to wait on another customer. Then later he remembered the dollar, he went back to deposit it only to find the bill was gone. He asked his brother if he'd seen it, but the brother said he had not. About an hour later, his brother came again, but this time there was kind of an obvious note of suspicion in his question. And his brother became angry and defensive. Remember, how much was it? A dollar. So every time they tried to discuss the matter, the conflict grew worse and worse, and it culminated, sadly, in vicious charges and countercharges. The incredible outcome was the dissolution of their partnership, the installation of a partition down the middle of the store, two competing businesses now, and that continued on for... Good, you're sitting down 20 years, two decades. And this was an open, divisive sore right in the middle of the community. Remember, this was said to be a model of creative collaboration. No longer. There's a wall of partition. So then one day, as the story goes on, there's a car with an out-of-state license plate, pulls up in front of the stores, and a well-dressed man entered one of the brothers' shops and asked him how long the store had been there learning it had been 20 years, he said, well, then you're the one with whom I have to settle an old score. This is the man's story. Some 20 years ago, I was out of work, drifting from place to place, and I happened to get off a boxcar right here in your town, and I had absolutely no money. I had not eaten for three days, and as I was walking down the alley behind your store, I looked in and I saw a dollar bill on top of the cash register. Everyone else was in the front of the store. The man went on to tell how he was raised in a Christian home. He said, I'd never before in all my life stolen anything. I was so hungry. I gave in to the temptation. Slipped through the door and I took that dollar bill. And the act weighed on my conscience ever since. I finally decided that I would never be at peace until I came back and faced up to an old sin and tried to make amends. Would you... Let me now, please, replace the money and pay you whatever is appropriate for the damages. 
When the stranger finished his confession, he was amazed to see the old store owner shaking his head in deep sorrow, beginning to weep visibly and audibly. Finally, the old man gained control and talking to the gentleman, taking the gentleman by the arm, excuse me, he asked him to go to the store next door and tell his owner, that store's owner, the same story. So the stranger did, he went next door, only this time you have two old men there who looked almost identical, weeping side by side. Now I don't know if those brothers were believers or not, but as we read about this account, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. This is a corrective. And how easy is it in life, like these brothers? A silly, it's a dollar? Yes, it can take things just as small as that or even less. And a grudge, you know, I remember in Georgia, I drove by a church. I think it was the Second Baptist Church of Dallas, Georgia, up on the hill. They had on their sign one time when I was a teenager. This was a saying that stuck with me all these years. A grudge is the heaviest thing you'll ever carry. And these, these young men who now, you know, they've lived their whole life together, separate stores. Now that's just kind of an icebreaker to get us thinking about where we're going. But I want you to think about life. And you probably know somebody who maybe it's not to this extreme yet, or maybe it's just in the beginning stages, but our families are racked with people who harbor bitterness. They can't get past it. If anyone throughout the course of human history had any reason to be bitter, it would have been our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he laid down his life for our sake. And he's the one who gave us that, that fitting picture on the very cross that he was being crucified upon. Capital punishment upon an innocent man who happened to be 100% God, by the way. He lifted up his voice from that cross and he didn't cry down lightning from heaven like Elijah did to consume the altar and the sacrifice. He didn't cry down God's judgment on sinners. He simply said these words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is the same man who said these words. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We've been studying the Beatitudes together. When we began some weeks ago, I laid forth for you how I understand the Beatitudes together. I counted them for you. I count eight. Maybe you count seven or maybe you count nine. I count eight. And I think it's a good way to count it. So when you take the eight, you divide them into two sets of four. We've been these past four weeks at least looking at these first four Beatitudes and what it means to learn to lean on the Lord. This is an inward thing, poor in spirit. Well, let's read the list. They that mourn, the meek, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. This is inside work between us and God. As we transition now to the merciful, we're moving into really point three of my overall outline for this. And that's living for the Lord. You cannot properly live for the Lord until you've learned to lean on Him like the Beatitudes say. And it all fits hand in glove together. I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones that pointed out how 
uh, number 7 here, verse number 7, the merciful builds upon what previously came and expounds that deeper. You cannot be merciful in the sense that Jesus is explaining mercy here or giving mercy until you're ready to to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness, until you're meek, until you're mourning over the state of sin, until you're bankrupt and destitute before God in your spirit. You will not know how to extend proper mercy, not in a godlike manner. We can learn, but this is the outward reflection of what's happened inside of us as we progress through the Beatitudes. Mercy here, I mean, again, back to this concept. The words, the vocabulary. I don't have to pull out my dictionary necessarily. As we heard Pastor Larson give an illustration of that, he looked up one word. What was it, grace? Was it, you were looking up grace, and he said there were like 28 different definitions, and, and so uh, context has to narrow it down as to which one. I'm going to do some work with you with the word grace this morning in light of the word mercy, because the two need to be considered together, I believe. Mercy and grace, they're different facets of the same gem, perhaps, but there are characteristics to each that would render us to be able to understand this a little better. We need to understand what, when you put these words together, the makarios, the blessing that attends the merciful, it's a state of being. Blessed are the merciful. Why are they blessed? For they shall obtain mercy. As we've done through the Beatitudes, we see a pattern. There's a a three-set thing that we're looking at. And if we're going to stay true to the rest of the Beatitudes, we can't dissect this and say there's only two here when there's three everywhere else. There's a, there's a statement. There's, a, there's an object. There's an action. There's also a reward. All three of those are present here with this Beatitude. We think about mercy. I've been mulling this over. And every time I think about mercy, my mind goes back to somebody else in the Scriptures. How many illustrations, how many object lessons, how many living sermons do we have in the Bible itself of what God means and what the Lord means when He says, Blessed are the merciful. In elementary school, I was pretty foolish sometimes. We used to play a game called Mercy. None of you ever played that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's that's silly, but isn't it an illustration of pride? Sometimes downright arrogance, foolishness. Well, if you don't believe that, just look at somebody walking around in a cast that maybe got done playing mercy and wouldn't relent. Pride. (laughs) It takes humility, right, to say mercy, mercy. Okay, that's a terrible illustration. Because that's not the kind of mercy that Jesus... Is it? Well, let's think it through. Say you're on the winning side of that mercy game. It's going to take some compassion on your part when the person you're against humbles themselves and says, okay, I give up. I can't do it anymore. It hurts too bad. The only way you're going to have mercy on them is if you can feel their pain that you're inflicting on them. That puts it in perspective, right? Whoa, okay, let's let up. Even in our American culture, we understand mercy in even those kind of ways. But the merciful here, the state of being merciful that the Lord Jesus is 
pointing his disciples to and the multitudes who are listening in earshot, this kind of mercy is continual. And I draw that really from from the participle that's here. It's a present participle. It's a continual state of being merciful. You cannot be merciful until you have open eyes, until you're mourning, until all these things are, are, are that we've mentioned before are in your life. Being merciful. Living for the Lord now, outside, we're going to learn what it is to share God's mercy through grace. It takes grace to be merciful the way Jesus is saying. This is demonstrated. If you want a synonym for this word mercy, maybe jot this in the margin of your Bible, write down the word compassion. Compassion. This is the mercy that Jesus is talking about. Now let that saturate your mind for a moment. Go back to your Sunday school days. Go back to your Bible time, maybe personal Bible reading. How many people in the Bible can we come together and dream up with remembering that they were compassionate towards someone? Face after face. Well, I don't know what their face looks like. But name after name, you know, I imagine this is what David would have looked like. I imagine this is what this Bible character would have looked like. These people demonstrated the compassion that Jesus says they're going to receive compassion from God one day. This is demonstrated by compassion. One of the greatest examples I could give you is the Lord Jesus Himself. He's saying these words. When were there times in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ that He was compassionate? Lifting up His eyes, He looked upon the multitude. He was moved with compassion because He saw them as sheep having no shepherd. We read that multiple times in the Gospel. As sheep, having no shepherd. Jesus, looking upon a group of people, saw their plight, understood their pain, and he was moved to do something about it. James tells us if we tell somebody to depart, be you warmed and filled, nevertheless, we provide not those things that are needful for the body. What profit is that? Faith without works is dead. You start with faith, and that's a good way for us to understand this. There are people who misunderstand what Jesus is saying here and are self-deceived in thinking that they can get to heaven by being merciful upon others. That's not the way to read this. This is not a means of salvation. Being merciful will never blot your sin out before God. That black blot on your life called sin, those areas where you fall short of the grace of God, must be answered for. And the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can erase that. It can wash that away. The propitiation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we're not talking about getting to heaven by being merciful. You understand that. I'm preaching to the choir. But right outside of here, there are people who, this is the age-old thing, right? This is the age-old lie of the devil. You don't believe me? Go back to ancient Egyptian culture. And you'll see the, the, the placards on the walls that they, they paint. And you have somebody who's living their life, and they get to the end of their life, and they're getting ready to enter the afterlife. That means they've died. 
And at the end of that, there's someone sitting on a throne and there's some scales. And their life is put on the scales. And if they do enough good and it outweighs the bad, then they can have a blessed afterlife according to the ancient Egyptian belief. That's as old as time, perhaps. It's one of the oldest lies of the devil. And yet, that is not how a person gets to heaven. It never has been. It never will be. Salvation is by grace through faith. Now, the content of that faith would change from the Old Testament to the New Testament, but it is still salvation by grace through faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him, it was imputed to him for righteousness. What was the content of what he believed? He believed the promises of God to him. We don't make the mistake of our post-millennial friends, if we have post-millennial friends, we don't make the mistake of reading the New Testament back into the Old. No, the, the promise was given to Abraham in the context of the Old Testament, and he believed the promise of God to him that there would come a Messiah. He believed God, and it was counted. It was put to his account as righteousness. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. In the New Testament, we know the content of our faith is given in the New Testament. The foundation of the doctrine of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the, the chief cornerstone in the doctrines of salvation. Jesus Christ dying for our sins. We could be justified through His shed blood and receive peace with God by grace through faith. And we have hindsight, which is twenty twenty. We know that's in the person of Jesus Christ who came and dwelt among us, gave us these words about being merciful. Compassion manifests itself in forgiveness. Wouldn't that have solved these two brothers' problems right away if they could have just let bygones be bygones, bury the dollar and say forget about it, it's only a dollar? But the one brother held that against his, old, his other brother because he could not believe that his brother had lied to him for 20 years to hold that. The one knowing that he's innocent he never even laid eyes on that doll. He has no clue what his brother's talking about. But his, his other brother holding that to him, saying, he must have done it. There's no other explanation. And then the rift that comes. And then you have this fellow that comes in out of town and says, by the way, the devil has his tools. And he wants to drive a wedge between all that's good, all that God would do in our life, if we'll let him. What's the meaning of mercy? An illustration in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. When He had this kind of compassion on someone, there were about ten lepers one time that Jesus Christ looked upon and He healed them. There was one that turned around to give Him thanks. But Jesus Christ and His treatment of those with leprosy would be an adequate illustration of what it is to really have mercy. Mercy that doesn't just hurt when the other person hurts. Mercy that is moved to do something about their state of affairs. The meaning of mercy is compassion. Compassion. Can we have this compassion? There are people hurting all around us. Because of sin, the devastation, because of other things that have entered into their life that they are broken. 
You'll have mercy when you can feel what they feel. And go beyond that to actually do something to try to correct. Now, we can't solve everything. I understand that. But Jesus saw the need. And He had compassion. And He healed. And we may not have that healing power to just wave something and make all of this stuff go away. But what we can do is do our level best to make things better as best as we can. We can pray. We can ask God to heal. And sometimes He does. And that's God's choice. And all healing is divine. I believe in healing. I believe in divine healing. I don't believe in divine healers, but I do believe in divine healing. And God can touch people. I've seen Him do it. I've witnessed it personally. And He showed up time and time again and given strength where there was no strength. He's removed diseases that there's no explanation for it. Doctors are confounded and they go, I don't, I don't know, I can't explain. It was, it was here and now it's not. And it's just, I attribute that to God. He, he did that. We can pray for those things. Even if we can't manifest healing the way the apostles of our Lord did, the way the Lord Jesus Christ did, the way Elijah did, the way that some of these key prophetic times in human history when God was revealing Himself, we're in a different day and time, understand that, but we can still pray for healing. We can reach maybe into our pocket and help. We, we do this as a church regularly. Those who come to our Lord's Table services, you know after, after the conclusion of that service, we put a, a plate down front and we've been diligent and faithful. Everything that comes into that offering plate on those Sunday nights gets set aside. Why? So that as disciples of Christ banded together for the work of the ministry, when a, a, an area of mercy presents itself, we as a church can extend the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ and not solve all the problems, but at least help alleviate a little bit of the pain of life. This is an ugly world. It's just downright nasty. And if we'll love one another as we've been loved, if we'll bear one another's burdens, Jesus Christ said, Paul said about this, we would fulfill the law of Christ. Acts 20.35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Each of us have been recipients of someone who had mercy. In other words, they looked and they saw the situation. They had compassion and they did something about it. They did something about it. What's the reward? Here it is. It's really deep. I mean, this is deep theology. The reward is to obtain mercy. That's not the motivation. That's the reward. We don't give mercy to get mercy just for getting mercy's sake. See this with little ones around our house sometimes. You know, they know they're in trouble. And if they show a little mercy here, then maybe they'll get a little mercy on the discipline side of it. That's immature. That's not following the example of our Lord Jesus. Some, as I mentioned, do teach that you can earn salvation by forgiving others. And so God will forgive you. That's not how you earn salvation. Salvation can't be earned. It was earned for us by Jesus Christ, as I mentioned. We show mercy because... God has shown us mercy. This is right out of the text. Look at your Bible. Look at verse 7. It says, blessed. Now, R is in italics. We supply the verb to help us as English speakers. We need that there. There's a verbal idea behind it. But if we read it, literally, we would read, blessed the merciful. Key word here, all throughout the Beatitudes, same one that you see in the others, for... They shall obtain mercy. 
for those who have taken any kind of Greek before, this is haughty. And it can be translated as for or because. That's the understanding. So read it just simply, would you? Blessed are the merciful because they shall obtain mercy. Because. One day. You see the happiness? More than happiness. The blessedness that attends this person who lives a compassionate life following Jesus Christ, taking up their cross, setting their hand to the plow, having been saved by grace through faith, understanding the state of affairs of this wicked world, looking around and trying to minimize all the damage they can within their power that God has blessed them to, being compassionate, being merciful. Now fast forward. That same individual who lived a life full of compassionate mercy is standing before the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne, the judgment seat of Christ, who's rendering now to every man according to his works. Every person will receive as how they lived in this life, they will receive. They're standing before the judgment seat of Christ and Christ begins to review their life. Maybe this would play into some of his words about giving drink. Lord, when saw we be thirsty? When saw thee we in hunger and clothed thee? Oh, when you did it to the least, unto the least of these. In other words, this is a person who gives to those who can give nothing back in return. It's not a tit for tat. It's not a, I give, I help you, you help me. This is a, I help you, and that's the end of it. Nothing expected. Free. Freely you've received. Freely give. That one who gave their life, living for the Lord, being compassionate, maybe when nobody else saw it, two mites here. But it was all they had. Because they were moved with compassion. To see God work in somebody's life. I cannot imagine anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ reviewing that and rendering nothing more than a well done, nothing less than a well done, thou good and faithful servant. We don't do it to get the well done, but the well done is promised. We show mercy because God has showed us mercy. Is that the way to understand this? I'll say that's going to go so far, but it's not completely adequate. Because if you're just going to look at it to show mercy because God's shown us mercy, you're going to assume that this word mercy has the same meaning that you have to use this word mercy across the board, especially when it comes to heaven and hell. You're going to run into some problems with that. When you talk about grace, when you talk about mercy, it's not the same. There are different facets. We don't just be merciful because God's been merciful to us. If you do, you're going to ignore the structure of what I pointed out to you that's here. There are three parts to this beatitude. There's the blessedness. There's the character trait of the blessed one. And there's the impending reward. You have to have all three. Or you don't get the full sense. What I'm saying to you is that it's not just giving out because God's given to us. It's being compassionate looking forward to the day when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at His mercy seat, understanding that we are going to get mercy and compassion from Him as our life is reviewed and put through the fire. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. One day it will come. Now does that mean that we don't get any kind of reciprocal blessing from mercy here? I think it was Brodus in his commentary that pointed out that would be taking you to an extreme that I don't think you can press the scriptures into. Sure, we look forward to the judgment seat of Christ, but it just fits with the law of the boomerang, right? You can expect sometime that it'll come full circle. You shouldn't expect it, but you shouldn't live expecting it, but it will. If you show compassion and mercy, how many, how many stories, how many testimonies have you heard that it was the compassion of someone that finally broke this hardened sinner to come to Christ? Maybe decades later, maybe years after the fact. One commentator lined it out really well, and I want to give you the difference between mercy and grace. I promised you I'd do that. Let's look at the two aspects, the two facets of the same gem of the attributes of God. Let's look at how each one sparkles with its own brilliance and its own magnificence. Mercy, as we've said, is compassion for people in need. Now, what's the greatest need of mankind? To find Jesus Christ as their Savior? One commentator distinguished it this way. Grace and mercy. That's what we're looking at. Elias is the word behind mercy. We translate that mercy. And that's the word here, merciful, Elias. And when you see Elias through the scriptures, trace it and see if this fellow is correct. Every time you see it, he argued that what you see is that of pain. You see misery. You see distress connected somewhere in the context with this word Elias. Get that. Pain. Misery. Distress. Those are the results of sin. It's not the sin itself. Those are the results. The symptoms, if you will. I can relate with that. I don't know about you, but as a father, there have been times when I've seen a little one get hurt. And oh, it just tears my heart out. Maybe an illness strikes and you, with compassion, you know this little one is just feeling wretched. And maybe you've said a prayer like I have before. Lord, just switch our places. Put me there. Don't let them go through that. That's compassion. Because you hurt for them. You, you can't maybe feel exactly what they're feeling, but you know. Sometimes it's, it's unbearable. The results of sin. That's Elias. Pain, misery, distress. Now let's look at the facet of grace. That's mercy. The results. Grace, on the other hand, this would be translated from words like charis. And again, he argued that when you see that, it's, it's always dealing with the sin itself. The guilt in particular of that sin. So grace touches the root. Mercy is demonstrated on the fruit of sin. Going back to our time on Wednesday night, perhaps for those who are studying with us the life of Joseph and the, the way that sin can manifest itself in people's lives when they harbor bitterness and envy and hatred. That's fruit stemming from a root. Grace deals with the sin itself. It takes the grace of God to find salvation from the sin. 
but the compassion is the demonstration towards the devastation that that sin brings. The one extends itself, he said, in relief. Mercy offers relief. The other extends itself in manifesting pardon and release complete. So the two go hand in hand. They fit together. The one, it it cures, it, it heals, it helps. Think of the leper that Jesus healed. That's mercy, that's compassion. The other, grace, on the other hand, cleanses. Grace reinstates to a place of favor. Undeservedly, yes. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all hurts, cleanseth us from all diseases. No, by His stripes we are healed. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. That's grace. The compassion of Christ is what He cried from the cross when He said it is finished. He went all the way because of His love. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. Blessed are the merciful. Now, when I was a teenager, I was required to read a book called The Hiding Place. How many of you have read that? Some of you have read that. It's a terrible story. But Corey Ten Boom, the late Corey Ten Boom, recounted her time in, under uh, the Ravensbrook concentration camp. Her and her sister, Betsy. You remember what happened to Betsy, her sister? How she recounted that if you've read the book. Betsy died. And Corey Ten Boom herself had been subjected to horrible, horrible indignities. She was in Munich at a church service. And I'll give you her words so that you can you can just hear it from her. She said, it was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly, it was all there. The room full of mocking men. The heaps of clothing. Betsy, her sister's pain-blanched face. All just rushing back to her at the sight of this SS, former SS soldier. He came up to me, she said, as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein. He said, to think that, as you say, He has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, she said, and, and I, who so many times had spoken often to the people in Blumenbell, the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Can you blame her? Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? 
That's convicting. Lord Jesus, I pray, forgive me and help me to forgive him. But the man had obviously gotten saved and was so riddled with guilt about his former actions. And he's claiming the blood of Jesus Christ now and she cannot even tolerate to almost look at him, let alone be asked to forgive him and extend a hand to the... This is where the rubber meets the road. This causes you to look inside deeply. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. She said, I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer. Corey Ten Boom said, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, she said, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand at a current, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While in my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. Mercy. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Years ago in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. Lord Jesus, give me your forgiveness. Mercy and grace. Understanding it the way Jesus has it here. Matthew says much about mercy and grace. It's a theme throughout this book. Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 23. All of these in Matthew have the idea of mercy behind them. Stories that were given to, to help illustrate and strengthen our understanding of mercy. Continual, continual mercy. draw your attention in closing to Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to let the Scriptures speak for themselves. But with the backdrop of what Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I read to you the parable of the unmerciful debtor. The servant to whom his Lord forgave 10,000 talents In this parable, it was naturally expected that this man who was forgiven so much would in turn forgive likewise. Let's read the account. Matthew 18, I begin in verse 23. As I read in verse 23, let me remind you, Peter has just asked the Lord, how oft shall I forgive? (laughs) Seventy times seven what the Lord replied. Verse 23, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven, key term in Matthew, Sermon on the Mount, connecting the dots, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants, and when he had begun to reckon, 
One was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me. Notice the capitalization here in this verse. And I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with, underline it, circle it, draw attention to it, moved with compassion, and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told it unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion? Had what? Compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee. His Lord was wroth and delivered him unto the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. After this story, Jesus reminds us, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. There's nothing more powerful in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ together with other followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in this aspect of what the New Testament calls, even here in Matthew, binding and loosing. This is a power that is entrusted to you by Jesus Christ, the head of the church. And He reminds you as His follower, hear His words and heed them. Whatsoever ye bind here on earth shall be bound in heaven. A grudge the heaviest thing you will ever carry as a follower of Jesus Christ. You can bind that. The Lord is not going to force you beyond your will. If this is something that you cannot let go, a word, a deed, whatever it might be, you can bind that person and you can approach the bar of the Lord Jesus Christ one day at His Bema seat and say, this has to be made right. I urge caution with that. Serious caution. Why wait until there? How much more blessed would it be to just take care of it here and now? Because the other side of that, the Lord said, whatsoever ye loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Oh, to stand before the Lord at the beam of seat of Christ and have a display of mercy and compassion. It's not deserved, no. But you took care of it. 
And you laid it before the feet of Christ. And you had compassion. And you saw the hurt. You saw the pain. And the Lord now can review that and say, it's loosed in heaven. We can make it right. Sometimes. Other times we wait too long. And these people get beyond our voice here. There's a God of grace in heaven who understands and cares and knows. And we can come before Him and ask for His healing and the balm to cover that bitterness that we carry so long. It's time for you as a follower of Christ to do some inventory in your life, to do some reckoning, and to try to avoid winding up where this unmerciful servant found himself at the feet of his Lord. Do it now. Hasten not to delay. Take care of it. I don't know how much more time each of us will have. And when the trumpet sounds or when we take our last breath, it's over. That's it. 